What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murder. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Speaking of Murder, and welcome to the new listeners. This week, we've got part three of Ted Bundy. Oof. And this guy, holy crap. But anyway, before we get into that, a little bit of business. Check out the Patreon. Go subscribe to that. Check it out. Check out our other shows. Speaking of murder, or I'm sorry, you're listening to that right now. I hope you know. I hope you know that that show exists. Where can they check out the Patreon? Do we have the link? Yeah, to that? the link will be in the episode description. Um, Patreon.com forward slash missing murdered haunted. But you can find it in the show description, the episode description. Uh, check out the actual other shows, not this one, but speaking of missing persons and speaking of hauntings, if you haven't already, definitely check those out. If you couldn't tell, our the business is it scripted? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Um, if you have a case suggestion, send that over to our email, missingmurderedhaunted at gmail dot com. If you want to see photos from today's episode, check out the Instagram at missingmurderedhaunted or check out the Facebook Missing Murdered Haunted podcast. Now that we're done with the business, Sarah, tell us more about Ted Bundy. I want to know him. On a not so intimate level, but I want to hear the story anyway. Were you about to say something? Yeah, I was going to say there is one more thing. Ooh. At the end of this episode, there will be some patron shout out. Some honorary Roberts? Yes. <laughs> uh, if that's what you want to call them, I doubt they want to be called Robert. <laughs> so, yes, make sure you listen to the end of the episode. We'll be shouting out our new patrons. So, stay tuned for that. Sarah, tell us about Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to, Bob. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, the last time we talked about Ted, we talked about his reign of fucking terror on Washington State. After, like, Sammamish, the police in Washington knew they were looking for a guy named Ted that drove a tan, yellow, or brown Volkswagen Beetle. Anyone want to know why he they knew they were looking for that kind of person and did car? Did he tell them that his name was Ted? Yes, he did. Wait, so he was, well, like, telling... He was introducing himself to people as Hi, Ted. Ted. Hi, I'm Ted. Oh, like when he was picking up these women? Yeah, so... Th- he wouldn't change his name? Well, no, his real name. you know what, though? <laughs> I mean, he knew that he kind of figured they'd all be dead and couldn't tell anybody. No. Like, he had asked other girls that day on the lake for help that turned him down. And also, it was busy that day. And people were sitting next to Janice. When he approached her, so they heard him introduce himself as Ted. They heard him ask 
her to help with his boat. Like, there were witnesses. Okay, sounds like I know, he's getting You would sloppy. think if he was going to go for two in the same day that he would use a different approach with each one of them. Not Why? feed them the Worked exact same the first line. time. Well, for people paying attention to him. I think he was at this point where a lot of serial killers get where they think they're untouchable because they haven't been caught. They get bold. They get sloppy. Yeah. That's how they end up getting caught is because they're like, Hi, my name's Ted. Yeah. want to help you with that boat? Also, you were parked in a very busy parking lot. People saw what car you were walking to. That's how they knew he had the problem was is that the volkswagen beetle though the color of it was weird like some people described it as tan some said yellow some said brown some said it was like a metallic some said it wasn't metallic his car was just as much a chameleon as he was because of the weird color that it was which it to me looks like a off white tannish like almost like a dirty a dirty white, kind of. Yeah, okay. see, every time I've seen it, I've seen it as yellow. See? Well, now i got to look up his car. It, like, <laughs> plays tricks on you. It's like that thing on When she called it off-white face. the first time, I'm like, wasn't it yellow? It wasn't. It was more described as tan okay, I'm looking than yellow. Too. It's like, is it, you know, blue or gold yeah. argument? Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's like white, tan, brown. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's definitely not yellow. Um, I think it all depends on the light. I guess it could be mistaken as like a very, like pale, pale, yellow, pastelly yellow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's strange. Yeah, weird. Thank you, thank you. I really feel like it all depends on the light. Yeah, for some reason, the light that's on it changes the color of it. Yep. I was just curious as to how so many different people gave a different color, but now seeing it yeah. makes sense. They, these witnesses also told police that they saw a man with an arm sling that day walking up to Janice and Denise specifically and yeah, asking I'm sure them there for were help. Some people that were there from the morning when he picked up Janice. To the afternoon when he picked up Denise. Denise, thank you. Her names escaped me for a second. And I mean, like I said, there were also girls that he asked that turned him down, and he had given them his real name. Fucking weird. So remember that happened in July. In August of 1974, Ted was accepted into the University of Utah School of Law. In Salt Lake City. So the next place we're going, y'all, Utah. People in Utah knew about the missing girls in Washington, but it wasn't like big news there. It wasn't like it was in Washington. Like it was all over everything in Washington that these girls were missing. In Utah, it was kind of just like a blurb in the newspaper. They thought that they were safe from this monster that was abducting college girls because 800 miles away. Right. Like, to them, police, like, to the police in Utah, they, for real, said it's a Washington problem. Guess what, bitch? It became a Utah problem. 
Ted packed up his belongings and moved to Salt Lake City on September 2nd, 1974. So there's no murders that he confessed to. Between July and when he moves? Yes. In September? Yes. But he took a month off? Technically two months because it took him a month to get comfortable in his new surroundings at Utah, in Utah, to start trolling for his next victim, which he found on October 2nd, 1974. She was a 16-year-old girl named Nancy Wilcox. She went missing near her home after an argument with her dad, so her parents and police believed at first that she was a runaway. And it kept the police from releasing, like, uh, you know, how they appeal to the public and are like, if you see this girl, blah, 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 like, putting it all over the news and newspapers and whatever. They didn't actually do that until December. Oh, wow. And even when they did, they made it known that she could have possibly just been a runaway. So they didn't take her disappearance serious. No. But the day after they went public with this case, a waitress called in and told police she saw a girl that looked like Nancy back in October, around the time she went missing, with a young man who had a mustache, and that they left her restaurant in a light-colored Volkswagen. Her family would say that Nancy had mentioned an older guy that would come into the restaurant that she worked at and flirt with her, even telling her cousin he was in law school. Ted later confessed to her murder, but he never claimed he would never admit to that he had met her before. He said he saw her walking on a dark portion of a main street and forced her into a nearby orchard where he restrained her, then led her back to his car and took her to his apartment. And he kept her for a day, he said, before he actually murdered her. He said he knew it was Nancy because it took a while for her to be in the newspaper, which... That shows you he was paying attention to the news also to see when these girls were being reported missing. The thing about it is, though, is that Ted actually, remember how I said he had confessed to one murder to a reporter like later on, like when he was still saying he was innocent, but he did it in the third person. Yeah. So he did that with Nancy's case also. He, in the third person, claimed that he killed her in that apple orchard and left her body there, then went back to his apartment, got nervous, and then went back to the orchard and moved her body somewhere else. But he said that in the third person, like maybe this, the killer did this, maybe the killer did that, but he would never say I did that. But when he truly sat down with police and confessed. He said he restrained her in the orchard, took her to his apartment, kept her for a day, meaning he did horrible things to her for a whole day, before he killed her, which is probably more believable. Ted's next two victims in Utah also took place in October, so he went full force 
once he got to Utah. So, like, once he got comfortable and settled, he was not playing around. Yeah. The first was 18-year-old Melissa Smith on October 18th, and the second was 17-year-old Laura Amy on Halloween. Melissa went missing while walking home from a pizza parlor after visiting a friend at around 10 o'clock. She had originally that night was supposed to go to a sleepover at a friend's house, but when she called that friend, no one answered. And then later, her other friend was like, hey, just come hang out with me at the pizza parlor that the friend worked at. So she did, but she had to be home by a certain time. So she was walking back home when she got abducted by Ted. And her dad was a Utah police chief named Lewis Smith. And he worked like in a... It was like in Midval, Midval, Utah. Her body was found nine days later on a hillside by deer hunters. The coroner, though, said she had only been dead for about 36 hours, which would have meant that, kept, that Ted kept her alive for at least five to seven days before he murdered her. So he's... There's no proof of this because he would never admit to that. Like, he never admitted that he kept this girl alive. But people believe he did because of the coroner report and also because at the time he had a key to this cellar in his apartment building that no one else had a key to. So he could have hid her there and no one would have known that she was there. I was going to say he's getting more comfortable yes with what he's doing if he's keeping them for an extended time instead of like trying to dispose of them immediately right he's and he's taking them back to his personal apartment apartment yeah that's a bit ballsy but like i said ted never admitted to that he would never say yes i did that laura the second girl to go missing or the third girl to go missing in october she was technically a runaway. Oh, she was actually she a was runaway? actually a runaway, but she kept in touch with her family randomly. But they knew, she, like, she would crash at different people's houses all the time. And she was at this Halloween party, and the reports say that she left the party to go buy a pack of cigarettes. But to do that, she had to hitchhike, which she did all the time. But still, this time she ran into Ted Bundy hitchhiking. Her body was actually found also on Thanksgiving Day by two hikers. So a month later? Yep. In a place called American Fork Canyon. Because Utah has a lot of those canyons, as we know from the Susan Powell case. It's a lot of deserty places so eight days later on november 8th 1974 ted would try to abduct 18 year old carol deranch she was at the fashion place mall in murray utah that's what i'm going with how you pronounce that She had only been inside the mall for a short period of time when Ted approached her and introduced himself as Officer Rosalind. 
He told Carol that a man had attempted to break into her car and asked if she would follow him out and see if anything was missing. So the one time he changes his name, it's when he's pretending to be a cop? Yep. Well, I mean, it'd be illegal. I guess so. It's illegal to pretend to be a cop. Can't let him catch you for that. That is true. (laughs) Y'all cracked me up. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, she complied because she thinks he's a police officer, like an undercover police officer. Yeah, because they just have undercover cops patrolling malls. I mean... Maybe. You never know. Well, once they were at his at her car, she informed him that everything looked fine. Well, Ted tried to get her to actually get inside of her car and make sure nothing was missing cuz she had just looked through the windows. He, you know, wanted to do his whole MO thing but in her car, not his car. Like, he wanted her to open the door, like, lean in and look inside, and when she came back up, he was going to knock her out. But she refused. She was like, no, I can see from here there's nothing missing. So that kind of foiled that plan that he had. So then he tells her that his partner was holding the suspect at a police substation and asked Carol to follow him there. So they could, you know, write a report or whatever. Don't know why she needs to be there for that. Right. She said nothing was missing. But together they walked back through the mall, across the street. So they went through the mall, out the other side, across the street, to a cleaner's. And Ted tried to open the the side door of this cleaner's building which was locked, and he already knew it was locked because he had, like, if that plan didn't work, plan two is bring her to this side and pretend like, oh, my partner must have went back to the actual police station with the suspect. So you're going to have to get in my car, and we'll go to the police station. My Volks, my my Volkswagen Beetle. And go to the police station that's, like, right down the street from the mall. Well, she did. Because, again, she still thinks he's a cop. His Volkswagen was just 20 feet from this building. And she knew exactly where the police station was. But Ted, like, as soon as they were in the car, he whipped the car around and went in the complete opposite direction of the police station. So now she's like okay fuck you're not a cop kind of a deal like but at this point did he put the passenger seat back yeah okay yeah he would take it in and out he like because i'm sitting here like there are also reports that have some people have claimed that are debunked i don't know that you couldn't get out of the car from the inside that he had taken the doorknob off which I can see how it was debunked because of this case, for one. And for two, people are right. That old school Volkswagen, if you're missing the inside handle, every time you pull the outside handle, it's, it's just going to fall apart, fall off. So, but yes, it's claimed that he would take that seat in and out. Not really in and out. He would just take it and fold it up and put it in the back seat because I guess it was easily removable. Okay. 
Well, like I said, he was going the opposite direction from the police station. And then he made an abrupt stop right in front of an elementary school. And he started to attack Carol. But strong bitch that she was fought his ass hard to the point where he was trying to get the handcuffs on her and fucked up and put the handcuffs on the same same arm like both cuffs went on the same arm which kind of made him like stumble a little bit and so she fucking jumped out of the car and kind of pulled a you know, move like the girl with Robert Hansen took off running down the street. A car was coming towards her, which was an older couple, and she jumped in and started screaming, I need to go to the police. Well, Ted, like, booked it out of there. He was like, fuck this shit, and sped off. So she goes to the police immediately and tells them what happened. Well, they good. They believe her because she's one got handcuffs on one of her arms right two she's all disheveled from having this altercation with him inside the car so it's not like the robert hansen case where they kind of are like meh we don't believe you kind of well, a deal they didn't believe her because of her profession well they also didn't believe her because he was like a prominent dude in that right community so Pissed off that he lost control of this victim, Ted, like, paced at the back of a theater late at night at the Viewmont High School. He was determined that he was getting a victim that day. So, in his mind, what better place to look than at a high school theater while a musical is happening? Well, 17-year-old Deborah Kent was in that theater. So he's definitely going much younger than he was originally. It's all, at this point, it's really opportunity. Because if you noticed, he's picked up two hitchhiking. Right. And that's just a crime of opportunity. And he tried to get a girl who was 18, but she got away. So now he's like... I'll take anyone kind of a deal because this urge is too overwhelming. So Deborah Kent was in that theater with her parents, but at around, I've seen it like 10, 10, 15, she got up to leave so she could go pick up her younger brother from the skating rink and so that her parents could finish the play. She had volunteered to go get her brother because I guess her dad was kind of sick and this was like the first time that they had got to get out of the house in a while ted watched her exit through the side door of the theater and he quickly jumped up and went out the front entrance and he sprinted in her direction towards the parking lot overpowered her and forced her into his car like pretty much drug her to his car it is believed that he followed his usual M.O. at this point. But some people claim that he knocked her out, raped her, left her in the car, went back in the theater, and sat back down 
for a little bit to not look weird because he had ran out of there so fast and people saw him. And then when a little bit of time passed, he kind of snuck back out of the theater because he didn't want people to be like, oh, well, we saw her leave. And then he ran out like super fast after her. He just make himself look like he went, he had to piss real bad. Yeah, kind of something like that. He later confessed that he dumped her body in Fairview Canyon. And during a police search, all they ever found was a human patella. All the other bones they found were animal bones. Now, weird thing. For some reason at the time, police gave this patella to her parents. To bury? To have. To do whatever they wanted with. They didn't test it. They just gave it to them. So then they never even verified that it was hers? Not at the time. It took until 2015 for a detective to be like, can we test that patella and see if it's actually your daughter? And at first her mom didn't want to. She just Because wanted- she had had it for all those years and she was scared that it wouldn't be her. But she finally agreed because she was like, I would like to know and have that closure that this is really my daughter. And it turns out it was. But that's all that was ever found of her was her patella. Jeez. Yeah, that's strange for them to just like, did they give it back? Yeah. Well, it's on top of that, it's so odd that that's the bone that they found. Like, normally, in all the different stories that I've heard, where they only find a portion of a body or a portion of a skeleton. It's always like... The skull. A, a skull, a jawbone, a, a hand, a finger, you know, a foot, an arm, whatever. But never... Yeah, we found their kneecap, but everything else is gone. Yeah, it's weird. Did they find it after he confessed and then gave yeah. it to the family? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Which he... We'll get to in part four, but he starts, like, confessing, like, in the late 80s. So, okay, it was from, like, the late 80s. She could have been eaten to that point. Yeah, she could have been. But what they really think is, like, only that bone was dug up by an animal. Right. And no other bones were, like, maybe it was kind of sticking up farther than... Who knows? You know, it it never fails. Like, when I'm listening to these stories, and you're talking about one that happened where I was alive for that, it trips me out. Like, this was going on in a different part of the country while I was alive. This wasn't way back in history. <laughs> this didn't happen forever ago. This happened in my lifetime a few states away. Weird. Oh, while he was confessing? Yeah. I mean, if this is, you know, that's all happening where he's confessing, you know, whatever, in the late 80s, I was alive at that point. Yeah. He had not been killed yet. Ted Bundy still walked the earth at the same time that I was crawling slash walking. I was... That's so... I was like six when he started confessing. So I pretty much, the whole time he was in prison, I was alive. It just, I don't know, it just it blows my mind that that was going on at the same time. No, I know, it's fucking weird when you actually think, sit and think about it. Mm-hmm. So, 
we're going to talk about Liz for a second. So Liz had been suspecting that. The so is he still Ted... like going back to her this uh-huh. entire time? Yeah, and I think he also may have had another girlfriend somewhere else. He was using these women as to have like a place to sleep, money, you know, so Status. he could look normal to the rest of the world that was seeing him. Like alibis? Not really alibis. It was more of a... Keeping up appearances. Keeping up appearances. So people would see him living like almost a normal life. And what's crazy is like Liz had a daughter and another girl he was doing this, like treating the same way had kids, which is weird to think about. Like he was sleeping all day while your kids are just like playing in the house and he's a fucking serial killer. That would fucking scare the shit out of me when I found out the truth. Right. Anyway, Liz had suspected Ted as being the Ted. The Ted. Since right after he killed Janice and Denise. Oh, and they figured out they were looking for looking a Ted. Looking for a Ted. With the Volks- uh, why yeah. can't I say that word? Volkswagen. Thank you. The beetle. <laughs> the bug. Happy yeah. Lugowder. So, like I said in earlier episodes, she called the police one time and they kind of ignored her and were like, and yeah, we'll look into him. But she would call back later on and they told her they had cleared him as a suspect. How did they clear him, though? Don't know. Don't have a clue. Like, did they only say that to her to make her, like, stop calling? I have no idea. Well, Ted's next three victims, three victims, were abducted and murdered in Colorado. 23-year-old Karen Campbell on January 12th, 1975. Wait, so he went from November Mm -hmm. all the way to January? Yep. Okay. She was on vacation with her boyfriend and his kids at the Wildwood Inn near Aspen, Colorado, because Ted was also very uh, good skier. He went skiing a lot. Her body was found 36 days later, three miles from the inn. Ted used his crutches routine to abduct her on march 1st 1975 this is when the the skulls or pieces of skulls fragments of skulls whatever of healy rancourt parks and ball were found so those were like his first four victims that he put on taylor mountain that the only thing that was found were skull fragments i feel like you are questioning it i'm having a moment uh because you said that after the girl in november at the theater he had three more victims but then you only mentioned one there was three in colorado yeah i'm telling you about them oh i'm sorry i started with she was just saying at the same time back in washington they're finding the skull fragments right on March 1st, because he... Okay, so this is how why I knew it was going to get confusing. Yeah. Okay, so he killed his next three victims in Colorado, but they weren't back-to-back. 
Okay. So he did, he killed Karen Campbell January 12th. He kills um, a girl named Julie Cunningham on March 15th of 1975 so in between those so two, in between they are now finding these skulls in washington okay and while that is happening ted is in salt lake city utah so he knows that they're finding these skulls he's in utah he and he literally 15 days later goes back to colorado and murders this girl named julie cunningham because he's following the news. So between early January to mid-March, he makes three separate trips to Colorado. No, just two. She didn't tell us about the third victim yet. Yeah, so from January of 1975 to April of 1975, he makes three trips to Colorado. And they're all to, like, ski resorts. So it's like he went on vacation. To Colorado, but not really. Like he, yes, he was taking these trips to Colorado, but at the same time, he was going there purposely to look for victims because, like I said, he would switch jurisdictions and states, so it would be harder for them to pinpoint, and they wouldn't be talking to each other, right? So he could kill more women. It's like a whole fucked up situation. That's why I said. So he at the time was just like gave up on opportunities in Utah. For the time being. I'm going to head to Colorado for victims. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're finding these skulls in Washington. I'm like killed a couple of girls in Utah. So I'm going to give Utah a break for a minute. I'm going to go to Colorado. So I'm like bouncing and they aren't going to link those together. They'll just think that, you know, I'm taking a break and I'm like three different people. It's like. Except he's killing them all in the exact same way. So when he is linked, he's fucked. True. So this is like where he kind of goes back to a little bit older girls also. Because Karen was 23. Then Julie is 26. She's a ski and she was a ski instructor at a resort in Vail, Colorado, and he did the same thing to her. He used the same ruse with the crutches, whatever, but he was, like, trying to, in both of those, he was trying to carry his ski boots. Of Which, course. because you and would that ski is what he, with your crutches. And that's what he used to hit them over the head to get them in the car initially, like, he knocked them out with the ski boots and then once they were in the car he would hit them with the crowbar for extra measure but you're going skiing while you have a cast from your knee to your foot apparently he might not have had the actual cast on he He might have just using using the the crutches. crutches well once julie was in his car unconscious ted actually drove her 90 miles west of vale to a royal area near, uh, it's called Rifle, Colorado. Once he had her in a secluded spot, he raped her and strangled her inside the car. And then he got out of the car. She's still alive in the car, okay? He didn't kill her on purpose. And he left 
the passenger side door open on purpose because he wanted to chase her. So he kind of like, you know, hid a little bit, waited for her to come back to consciousness. She immediately took off running and screaming through these woods and he ran her down and did his whole thing all over again in the middle of these woods, this time actually killing her. He left her body on the hillside at first, then came back on April 4th to actually bury her body. He has a habit of doing that. Yeah, he always went back to... to, to He's a necrophiliac. He went back typically to have sex with their dead body. Gross. All right, so he went back on April 4th to actually bury her body and to also hunt for his next victim. Julie's body was never found. And I would like to also say right here that all of these women that have never been found, their bodies have never been found, are still listed as missing people to this day. They're listed even as missing if he persons. Can, even though he yes. confessed to killing them? Yeah, because he's, you can't prove it. Yeah, you can't prove it without a body. So they're listed as missing persons still to this day. On April 6th, he abducted 25-year-old Denise Oler- Oliverson. I knew I was going to have a hard time with that one. In Grand Junction, Colorado. This time he didn't use a ski resort and his crutches and all that bullshit. She was riding her bike from her boyfriend's house to her parents' house. And all Ted would ever say about her murder was that he drove her unconscious for 40 miles west on I-70, stopping just before he crossed into Utah, killed her, and threw her body into the Colorado River. People believe that he saw her riding ahead of him on her bike and that he actually hit her with the crowbar out his window as he was driving by her. That's what people believe. But again, it can't be proven because her body has also never been found. And he would say nothing else except that, yes, I did. I drove her here. I threw her in the Colorado River. Ted then decided that he was done with Colorado, too, after those three girls. So then he went to a place called Pocatella, Idaho on May 5th, 1975. So a month later, he went to Idaho. This time, he was going back to his original MO of, I'm going to go after a university girl. So he went there to literally hunt his victim at their university. So he's back to colleges. But he struck out. It didn't work. So right now, I'm going to tell all of you to please don't hate me, but we're about to talk about the youngest girl Ted Bundy killed. Is a trigger warning in order? I mean, yeah, probably. Okay. If you can't handle this, skip ahead. Give it give it like 30 seconds to a minute. Hit that 15-second forward thing a few times right now. So I'm going to say there are two victims of Ted Bundy's that were 12 years old. Oh, my God. This is the first one. We will, prob- we will not talk about the second one until the last episode. 
This girl, her name was Lynette Culver, and Ted picked her up as she was leaving her junior high school at lunchtime. Because that was like back in the day when you could like leave school, walk and get lunch, or walk home really quick and eat lunch, whatever. It is unknown if he convinced her to leave with him or if he forced her to. My guess would be force, considering what he did to the 16-year-old. Right. Either way, once he had her in his car, he drove Lynette to his hotel room. Once they were in his room, he immediately drowned her in the bathtub. And then he had sex with her dead body. He waited a couple hours, loaded her into the trunk of his car, which a Volkswagen, that's the front of the car, drove her five miles north of Pocatello and dumped her body into the Snake River. And she also was never found. Now, this girl is a little bit older. But not much. So at this point, he goes back to Utah. It's June 27th, 1975, and he abducts a 15-year-old girl from... Her name was Susan Curtis, and she was attending a youth conference at the Brigham Young University and was last seen after dinner when she told a friend she was going back to her room to brush her teeth. She was never seen again. And Ted confessed to her murder, but would give absolutely no details about it. He would just admit that he did it. On Saturday, August 16th, 1975, Ted was arrested. This would be like the first time he was arrested other than when he was a teenager for the, you know, burglary and car theft. This time, he was arrested at 3 o'clock in the morning by a highway patrol officer named Bob Hayward. Oh yeah, Bob. Here's your good Bob. One of them. Hayward was sitting in his patrol car in front of his house in a suburb of Salt Lake City. And he was finishing up paperwork at the end of his shift when he saw a tan Volkswagen Beetle drive past him. Minutes later, he got a, there was a call over the radio for backup, and Hayward responded. But as he was leaving the neighborhood, he took a wrong turn, and he spotted this tan Volkswagen sitting in front of a house that he knew the parents were on vacation and that there were two teenage girls there alone. When Ted spotted him, he sped away. Well, Hayward gave chase. Ted finally pulled over at an abandoned gas station, and Hayward questioned him at gunpoint. He was like, fuck you, I ain't playing with your ass. Yeah, because his parents probably asked him to drive by there every now and then to check on their kids. Well, Ted told the officer he was lost, and that he was trying to find his way home after going to the drive-in to watch The Towering Inferno. But see... Bob Hayward knew that that movie was not playing at the freaking drive-in that day. I was going to say, had seen it. (laughs) So he arrested Ted for suspicion of evading. So like running from the cops. 
Ted gave them permission to search his car, strangely. Inside, they found that the passenger seat had been removed and was laying on its side in the back seat. There was a bag sitting where the seat should be, which held an ice pick, a pair of nylon pantyhose with mouth holes cut into them, a ski mask, several pieces of sheet that were torn into shreds, and a rope. Under the seat, they found a crowbar, and in the trunk, they found handcuffs. Yeah, that's not suspicious at all. Right? Especially when you're in the middle of a neighborhood at 3 a.m. Looking at a house with two teenage girls. After Ted's arrest, Hayward told his brother Pete Hayward, so Bob Hayward told Pete Hayward about Ted. Well, Pete was in charge of the detectives for the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Office, so they started looking into Ted and decided to take over the case. At the time, Ted was also becoming a suspect in the Washington murders because they were finally taking Liz seriously. Well, the only evidence they had to pursue Ted at the time was from Carol DeRanche, the one who got away. When he was arrested for this evading police thing, he was actually released on bail. And some reports say that he, like, sold the Volkswagen at that time. You know, that's, like, the biggest evidence. Evidence. Yeah, I'm shocked he kept it for so long. Yeah. Well, they made him come back in October to do a lineup, and Carol picked him out immediately of the lineup. So they arrested him again and charged him with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault. Ted's trial for this began February 1976, and he waived his right to a jury trial. He wanted the judge to decide. That's putting your life in one man's hands Yeah, right there. His parents and Liz actually sat in the courtroom the whole trial because, like I said, she was still, like, on the fence and kind of felt really guilty about giving him up, even though she knew it was the right thing to do. He was found guilty on March 1st, 1976, and was sentenced to a minimum of one year to a maximum of 15 years. And this is just for Carol Durant, the girl who got away. They're not coming Basically. after him yet for the murders. Right. Basically, what they're trying to do is hold. Yeah, get him in jail. Because well, once you're incarcerated, people start talking. Investigators had already linked the Washington murders to the Utah murders, and the verdict of the Durant case helped them link Ted to the murders as well. Really? And that's where I'm going to leave y'all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Way to do someone dirty. Yeah, I was waiting for the next bit. Like, All right. Well, if you enjoyed mm. that episode, let us know. Hop on wherever you're listening. Give us five stars. Give us a review. You know, leave a comment. Share it with your friends, whatever. Um, make sure you go to the Patreon and subscribe to that. 
We're getting bonus episodes out on there every other week, so make sure you check those out. Speaking of... Oh, yes. Shout out to um, our first couple patrons. Let's, let's hear first our very first patron, like very first one ever. That would be from one of our special guests, my Sharona. Sharon D. Sharon D. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I think I think there might be one more. There is one more. Sharna, who's that one more? Uh, the bitch Allison <laughs> that I am always talking about. <laughs> All right, so we got What's Sharon. Up, Allison? We got if Sharon you D. Me and... mug me like that one more time at your place of employment. <laughs> I might put a trash can on your head. Okay, thanks. Right. Well, thank you to our patrons, Sharon D. and that bitch Allison. So I don't think you're a bitch, Allison. I think you're very nice. I love so, you, Allison. Uh, but again, don't me mug me. Thank you for supporting the show. We really do appreciate it. It's helping us put together a better show. I mean, so, don't y'all all want to be our friends? Come on, we're cool. <laughs> so um, if you want to see photos associated with today's episode, check out the Instagram at Missing Murdered Haunted. Check out the Facebook Missing Murdered Haunted podcast. If you have a case suggestion, send that to our email, missingmurderedhaunted at gmail.com. And make sure that you go and subscribe to our Patreon so you can be out there hanging out with Sharon D and that bitch Allison. <laughs> make sure you come back next week for part four. Does anyone have anything else they want to add in? Yeah, I love that bitch Allison. <laughs> no, I'm good, Bob. All right. See everybody next week. Bye. 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 Bye.